0: Good morning, church. As the choir makes their way down, I want to remind you, if you have not looked at your bulletin yet, um, on one side of that paper, it talks about things that are going on today. And I'll bring to your attention two significant events that are going on this afternoon, the first of which is at 3 o'clock, occurring in our fellowship hall. If you have agreed and committed yourself to serve on one of the various committees that Uh, help facilitate the ministry of this church. Your committee is meeting this afternoon at 3 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall to organize and orient yourselves for the work that is to come this year. Be here for that. You said yes to showing up to this when you said yes to having your name on that committee. Uh, The second thing is at 4 o'clock, our church will come together for our monthly business meeting. That too will be in the Fellowship Hall. With that being said, turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 1. As we look this morning, what the Lord has for us, beginning in verse 5 through verse 25 of the first chapter. The Word of God reads In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Well, this is the word of God for the people of God this morning. And in the first couple of chapters of Luke, everyone knows that we learn about the miraculous birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But some people have forgotten or perhaps never knew that there's another miraculous birth recorded in these chapters, the birth of John the Baptist. And you may wonder why Luke includes this incident when none of the other three gospel writers even mention it. Well, the answer is contained in the scriptures. And that answer is found in the last last page of the Old Testament, in fact. It's in Malachi chapter 4, and verses 5 and 6, And as I read them to you, you will find the words in which I read familiar to the ones that I read from Luke, where Malachi wrote, "'Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction.'" Now, 400 years before Jesus came, God gave the Old Testament Jews a final promise. He promised that the Messiah would come. And he told them that before that happens, he would send Elijah as a forerunner. Then for 400 years, God was silent. And that's what we call the period between the Old and New Testament. 400 years of silence. For all those centuries, the Jews were expectantly looking for the Messiah. And because Luke is giving us a well-thought-out and organized story of Jesus, he correctly makes the connection between the birth of John as the coming forerunner, Elijah. He's letting us know that after 400 years, God is shattering the silence with the birth of John the Baptist. And as we read from verses 5 through 7, Luke is dealing with introductory things, helping us to know some of the when and some of the who Of this matter. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth are the parents to be of John the Baptist. And in the Hebrew, the name Zechariah means God remembers. Also in the Hebrew, Elizabeth means God's oath or promise. We learn later that they lived simple lives out in the hills of Judea. They would have been considered hillbillies to the elegant Jerusalem crowd. They were faithful servants of the Lord, they were both descendants of Aaron. The one cloud that hung over their lives was that they could not have children. There may be some in this church who deal with the same feelings that Zechariah and Elizabeth did faced. You would love to have children, but perhaps for a variety of reasons, you, you haven't been able to have children yet. In Bible times, there was a strong social stigma that was attached to being childless. Females in this condition, they were called barren and and many people interpreted their barrenness as some kind of punishment from God. Even the word barren was a point of shame for Elizabeth. It's a word that that conjures images of of dry wind that blows across a lifeless desert. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had prayed for a child for many years, but now they'd grown older and maybe they'd possibly stopped praying. Maybe they were convinced that they had reached the age that conception was impossible. They had forgotten God specialized in the impossible. And note something else about these two. They're old folks. They're old. And maybe you're here today and you think that you've entered the, a season of spiritual retirement and you've already done enough for God. Or perhaps you think that you've already received all the greatest blessings that you could ever enjoy. Think again. All I'm going to say. And in this passage, we're going to see three aspects to Zechariah's life where he saw God move. And they're going to frame where we're headed. These three aspects are this. Worship, wonder, and willingness. Worship, wonder, and willingness. And verses 8 through 12 we we'll turn our attention first to worship. In those days, there were thousands of priests, so the priestly duties had to be divided up according to their priestly order. And when it came to the order of Abijah's division to perform the temple duties, Zechariah went to Jerusalem. Now, most priests live normal lives for most of the year, but for two weeks out of the year, they were on active duty. This is like being called up in the National Guard in Israel. It was the time where the priests, it was the time that they anticipated all year long. There could have been hundreds of priests in the order of Abijah, so each day they cast lots to see who would get to perform the special task of burning incense. And one day, Zechariah was chosen for this This exceptionally high privilege of burning the incense which he would have done either in the morning or in the evening but this was such a high privilege that it can only be done once in a priest's lifetime it was a highly coveted task and one can only imagine the feelings that Zechariah must have experienced the evening before his duty was to be performed I mean on the one hand he must have rejoiced in the high privilege that that was his He had hoped for this his entire life. On the other hand, in the back of his mind, he must have been reflecting upon Leviticus chapter 10, which records the death of Nadab and Abihu, who were Aaron's sons. See, they had carried out this ritual in a wrong manner. The Bible says they offered strange fire, and they died as a result of that. So there were mixed feelings of rejoicing and fear that must have been within Zechariah. He probably, in preparation, he probably carefully rehearsed in his mind exactly how he would perform this duty, if for anything else, so that he would emerge from this most holy of places alive. And while all the other priests remained outside the temple, uh, just singing and praying, praising and praying, Zechariah entered the most holy place. Now the temple complex, if you have a study Bible, that has a picture and a drawing of such. The temple complex is a rather large structure, but the actual building of the temple itself was rather small. It only contained two rooms, and both rooms together were a little over 100 feet long and a little over 75 feet wide. The first room that you would enter was known as the most holy place. This is where the altar of incense was located. The altar was just in front of the tall curtain that separated the most holy place, that first place, from the room called the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies was the golden box called the Ark of the Covenant. And that room was only entered one day a year, a day known as the Day of Atonement. and could only be entered by one man, the high priest. So this was as close as Zechariah would ever get to where the Jews believed the Shekinah glory of God dwelled. Imagine the awe that must have captivated him. It was his job to enter the most holy place to ignite the incense that day. The incense was a mixture of spices that mixed with material that created a great deal of smoke. It produced a very heavy smoke that, that has a pungent, sweet smell to it. The burning of incense symbolized two important things. First, it was, a picture, it was to be a picture of the prayers of God's people. Like the smoke of incense, our, our prayers waft upward into the presence of God. And when the incense was lit inside the most holy place, the, the smoke would fill the room and it would begin to billow and, and fill outward out of the room. Out of the openings on the top. And it would be a picture to those outside of their prayers. The incense was also served to, to veil God's awesome presence. On the Day of Atonement, this heavy smoke would veil the side of the ark so that the priest who entered would not die for fear of seeing God. And we're told in the Old Testament that Moses, that when Moses first built the tabernacle in the wilderness, Aaron made the initial sacrifice. And at that sacrifice, God came and the sacrifice was consumed with fire and smoke. And from that time, the Jews were reminded of God's presence by the smoke of incense. Even to this day, Eastern Orthodox Christians still use the burning of incense in their worship. For instance, if you were ever to visit the Church of the Holy Nativity in Bethlehem, you would find that the air inside is often thick with the smoke of incense you can see it you can smell it you can even taste it when you breathe you can almost feel the weight of it on your skin and you can even hear the fires sputtering inside the censures in other words the burning of incense assaults all your senses well there's a reason for that When you have a real experience of worship, it transcends all your senses. Worship isn't itself a sensory experience. It goes beyond that. The incense was to remind the Jews of this truth. And as Zechariah was performing his duty, something amazing happened. The angel, Gabriel, appears and he brings a message from God. And Zechariah reacts the way most people do in the Bible when they see an angel. He's terrified. He becomes so aware of the power and presence of God that he's captivated in awe. You've got to remember that for 400 years, there hadn't been a single recorded incident of God sending an angel or delivering a message to Israel in any form. For 400 years, that's thousands of days, priests had gone through the same religious motions but they had not a single revelation from God. You can't say on this day that Zechariah had any expectation that what's recorded here was going to happen. This was an unexpected visitation from heaven. And that's a good description of worship. How many times have you approached this time, what you might call church, what we call worship, and simply gone through the motions? You walk in. You sit down, you stand up, you sing a little, you sit down again, you pass the plate, you open the Bible, you take some notes, you stand up, you sing again, and you walk out. And You never truly meet God. Worship is the joy of meeting God. And you say, well, how can that be? I thought God was everywhere. How can you meet him? Actually, worship is an experience through which you're focused on God. And you, may, you, you become more aware of his presence with you. And we're going to say a little bit more about this understanding of his presence later. Worship is the first aspect. And now we focus on the second aspect of wonder. that's in, uh, encapsulated in verses 13 through 20. And the first thing Gabriel uh, said was, Do not be afraid. Did you know that this is a common message God delivers to people when they worship him? Do not be afraid. Maybe you're here today and you're trembling inside because you're afraid that something bad's going to happen. But if you listen, God will whisper to you, don't be afraid. I'm here. I'll take care of you. And then you can say, like David in the 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The next message Gabriel delivers is your prayer has been heard. And now you may think that, that Gabriel is talking about Zechariah's prayer for a child, but I don't think that that's what he's initially speaking to. I mean, Zechariah's response, you can see it, and it's obvious that he'd, he'd given up on that idea for a child. And remember, Zechariah, when he's entering that place, he's not praying for himself. He's praying as a priest. He's praying on behalf of the nation of Israel. Well, what are they praying for? What have they been praying for hundreds of years for? They've been praying for the Messiah to come, for the arrival of God's kingdom. God was going to answer that prayer. And God was going to answer the prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth for a son. What an awesome God, right? Then Gabriel gives proof that God has finally decided to break his silence by connecting the birth of John with his promise that's given in Malachi. Gabriel tells Zechariah that his son would be the Elijah who would fulfill the final words of the Old Testament to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. God was answering his prayer. The silence was broken. And today, for some of you, it seems like God has been silent for a really long time. And when I I mention the wonder and the joy of hearing from God, and you listen, and you think, Brother Dan, I haven't heard from God in a really long time. You might think God's angry with you. We, We think that because when we spend time with somebody, and they're really silent, we presume their silence to mean anger. Are you experiencing the joy of hearing from God? Maybe that God is speaking, but you're not listening. We'll say more about that later too. For now, notice Zechariah's response because I think it's pretty funny. He doesn't believe Gabriel. He doesn't believe God. He says there are two reasons that this can happen. One is me, and the other is my old wife. And in the original Greek, he uses the normal word for old when he refers to himself. But when he describes Elizabeth, he uses a phrase that literally says, too many years have taken their toll on her. It's almost like Zechariah saying, I'm old, but the problem is really with my wife. Had Zechariah forgotten the story of Sarah, who was old and barren? She had Isaac. Had he forgotten about Hannah, who was barren, yet gave birth to Samuel? Sometimes we think uh, that a miracle is something that only happens to other people, never to us. But Gabriel isn't impressed. In fact, he says that he's a little miffed. He says, you don't believe me? You don't believe God? Unbelief can be damaging for your health, friend. And just to show you how damaging it is, you aren't going to be able to, to talk until every last bit of what I've told you has been fulfilled. Now, think about that. Ponder. Pause with me. What do you think is the greater miracle here? An old woman conceiving or a preacher being silenced for nine months? We've moved from worship to wonder. Now let's follow Zechariah into the third aspect and stopping here for a moment. We know that Zechariah met God in worship. That was really wonderful. Then he heard from God and that was really amazing. But now it's up to Zechariah. Is Zechariah going to do anything about what he has heard? Is he going to do anything about what he's experienced? He Could have just walked out of the temple. Mute, silenced, still doubting God. He could have chosen to do nothing about what the angel had told him. Then he would just have maybe just lived the rest of his life simply known as the priest who was dumbstruck by God in the temple. You see, millions of Christians are going to gather in thousands of churches around the globe this week. Some won't ever worship. Others will worship, but they won't hear God. But I'm convinced there are many who cover the first two aspects. They meet God, they hear his voice, but then they leave and they do not a thing about what they've heard. Now Zechariah, he came out of church, and he came out of church a changed man. Everyone knew that he had met God. And by the way, folks, any time you have truly met the Lord, people can usually see that on you. And I like the verse that says, when his time of service has ended, he went to his home. In other words, he had an encounter with God, but in having that encounter, it wasn't an excuse for him to to shirk his basic responsibilities. Then there's a gap between verse 24 and 25. And it's apparent that Zechariah and Elizabeth do what God says is limited to the marriage bed of one man and one woman. Because one morning, Elizabeth wakes up, and she's a little nauseous, and she tells Zechariah, guess what, sweetheart? I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. Do you know what Zechariah says? Nothing. He can't say anything. How many of you wives would like to w- live with a husband who couldn't say anything for nine months? Oh, you say, right now, my husband doesn't say much more than what's for supper. How many of you husbands would like to live with a... Never mind, I'm not going to go there. Um, but the point I want you to see is very important after worship and the wonder of hearing from God Zechariah demonstrated willingness he was willing to do his part in God's plan and sure enough Elizabeth is pregnant so she's happy and she praises God for taking away her reproach among the people I mean, for years when Elizabeth walked through her village the women whispered oh There's that Elizabeth. She's the one who can't conceive. She can't have children. Now as an old woman, she's expecting. What a miracle. And remember what the names of Zechariah and Elizabeth are in the Hebrew? God remembers and his oath. In the birth of this child, the two names were joining to form a message from God. In John the Baptist, God remembered his oath. Here's another thing. Do you know what the name John means in Hebrew? God is gracious. And he is. He is gracious and he remembers his oath from Malachi chapter 4. Now that's a great story and it's going to be continued in a couple of weeks when Elizabeth receives a visit from her relative Mary, who herself is pregnant with a miracle child. That's a great story But what can we learn from this? Remember those three aspects To seeing God Worship, wonder, willingness We're going to conclude this message By considering how we're relating to God In those three areas I'm going to do so by inviting you To reflect upon three questions That I'll leave to you The first question is this In private and corporate worship Am I aware of the presence of God? Am I aware of God's presence in worship? Now, notice I said that there are two settings for worship. First, there is private, when you have a daily quiet time alone with God. Are you aware that He is there with you? Then there's this corporate experience of worship in which people gather together to focus on God. Are you aware of the Lord's presence here? As much as I need and enjoy this time of corporate worship, every morning I meet God in worship. I take time to focus on his presence and to read his word and to worship him. I sing to him. I talk with him. I have some glorious experiences of worship all alone. Do you? God is always there, but when we focus exclusively on him, Friends, we see him in a wonderful way that is different than any other time. In fact, sometimes it's like the song goes. Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. And some of you in this room, or maybe online, might be saying to yourselves, I agree, worship is a private experience. That's why I don't believe you have to come to church to worship. I can worship on a lake or at a mountain or even in my own, my own house. Of course you can. But you, you cannot escape the fact that the Bible commands us to gather together with other believers and worship him. The psalmist says in the 34th Psalm, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says that we are not to miss gathering together to encourage one another. If you want to make most of your corporate worship time, make sure you have a dynamic personal worship time. If the only time you ever worship is when you're in a church gathering, your worship here is going to be rather shallow. There's a verse I often use when, when I think of personal and corporate worship. It comes from James chapter four and it's verse eight. The half brother of Jesus said, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded. And when I'm in this room and we're singing to God, I try to to forget that, that anyone else is here except for Jesus. I try to visualize myself drawing near to God, entering into heaven's throne room, kneeling before the throne of God. And in order to do that, I must ask him, Lord, cleanse me, purify my heart. And we come across James chapter 4, verse 8, and we look at the words double-minded, and we wonder, what does that mean? What it means is it's the reason why some of you may attend worship and never truly worship. It's because you aren't single-minded in your pursuit of meeting God. You have too much on your mind. You're thinking about all the wrong things. The music's too loud. They didn't advance the slide on the right time. You don't like your seat. Someone took your pew. You're thinking about all the things that you've got to do this afternoon or maybe next week. Your heart isn't pure in its intention and desire to meet the Lord. Worship involves clearing your mind of everything else except this glorious thought. God is here. I've come to worship and adore him. To tell him, oh Lord, I magnify your name and I love you. That's single-minded worship. The second question that I invite you to consider is this. Am I able to discern God's voice speaking to me? That's a second aspect in Zechariah's experience here. I acknowledge there are many voices yelling at you. Sometimes it's hard to know which voice is God's in the midst of it. And in your life, you're going to be bombarded with thousands of messages from people, uh, from television, from uh, all the different social media things you might plug into. How can you learn amongst, amongst it all to discern God's voice? Should you even have that expectation? Well, I tell you, you should, because in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, the word of God says that God tells us this is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Now, two areas I would invite us to focus on right now are in, in, in hearing the voice of God or from his word and in a prayer dialogue. Now, the Bible, that's the main way that God speaks to us. When you read it, when I teach it, when anyone else teaches it, when you meditate on it, I wonder, are you able to hear God's voice speaking to you? If the answer is no, then it may be that you are not listening. He's speaking. Are you tuned in when you read and study the Word of God? Prayer dialogue. Notice that I said dialogue because for many of us, we are in a monologue with God yes we talk with God but we don't take time to listen some people don't really pray they just say prayers they they may repeat some words like that they've memorized and it's some beautiful poem that they recite they recite the words but they really don't talk to God prayers to be a conversation take time in your prayer closet to listen for God's still small voice when you pray And the third question is this, am I willing to obey God? Am I willing to obey even when it seems impossible? And by the way, God knows already whether you're willing or not. Here's the thing, when we read this, he he didn't force Zechariah to obey him. But I believe that God knew Zechariah had a willing heart. How did he know that? Zechariah was a faithful man for his entire life. And if you're faithful in the small things that bring small blessings, God will entrust you with the big things that bring big blessings. We'll find when we get to Luke chapter 6 that Jesus says this to the multitude and to who he preaches. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I tell you? Then Jesus describes the life of a person uh, who hears his word but doesn't obey him. I used to think when I read that, that this described a person who was totally alienated from God, a person who had never even approached God and had no concerns for the things of God, certainly hadn't heard the gospel. Actually, this verse describes in Luke chapter six, "A person who has met God, a person who has heard the Word of God. They just weren't willing to obey. Now, Jesus describes what their life looks like when we read in chapter 6, verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. It seemed totally impossible for Elizabeth to get pregnant, yet she and Zechariah obeyed God and then trusted God. There's a simple, great principle of obedience that's woven into the fabric of God's word. And it's this. When you choose to obey God, then he gives you the power to obey him. What does God ask you to do that seems impossible to you? What is it? Is it maybe love somebody who's unlovely to you? Forgive somebody who has hurt you deeply? Give a percentage of your income to the work of God? Share your faith with your lost friends? When God sees in you a willing heart, then he provides the supernatural power to accomplish what he tells you to do. I came across something an old preacher said many years ago. He was talking about obedience to the word of God. And he said this, if God tells me to jump through a brick wall, my job is to jump at it and to trust that God is going to get me through it. That's it. That's what this is about. I've had encounters with God like Zechariah had and I want to tell you about one experience of mine. In February of 2016, Yvette and I were invited to share our testimony at a Valentine's banquet. And customarily, I might have thought, speak? Me? In front of people? You sure? See, that's something I I naturally ran away from because every time in my past, when I stood up to speak, my face would turn red, my neck would break out in hives, I would sweat profusely. And I spoke with the confidence of the strongest church mouse in the building. Yet immediately at that invitation, we said yes. We didn't even blink, we gave our testimony. And I was surprised to discover that when I spoke about what the Lord had done in my life and in my marriage, that there was something completely different about that entire occasion. And as the saying goes, that's where the story begins. And In the weeks that followed, every day my nose was in my Bible. Every day I was praying to the Lord. Every day I would go to work. Every Wednesday and Sunday I would be in church here. And in me, I had this absolutely crazy sense that God wanted me to preach the word of God. And it tore me up. (laughs) It tore me up. I was in my early 30s. Yvette and I had built a home that we were convinced, and we told everybody, this is the house we're going to die in, y'all. The girls were just babies. And I'll tell you, I had reached a very comfortable spot in my employment and all I thought I was building towards in my early adult life was being called into question. And it reaches its climax when, as I was listening to worship, walking into my office space, I had earbuds in, I set my things down at my desk, and I look over the vast sea of cubicles that were before me. And I heard a voice say to me, Dan, you don't belong here anymore. <laughs> what? You don't belong here anymore. Was it an audible voice? No. It was way louder than that. All I can say is that I met God in worship, and he spoke to me. And after that, you know, me and the Lord, we put in some extra hours together. You better believe that. I See, I told him all that I thought about how he was making a mistake clearly. I told him every last thing that I thought about preachers. And he told me that he wasn't calling me to be anyone other than the person Jesus had saved and that the Spirit of God had filled 15 years earlier. I reminded him about my terror about speaking in front of people. And he reminded me about that banquet and, how, and what he did when he spoke through me. And this went on until I found myself weeping one day, saying, God, if you are sure that you know what you're doing, all I can say is that I'm willing. What's God saying to you today? Are you even listening? Let's pray. God, we thank you that we needn't look further than to your son, who in agreement with you willingly abandoned the riches of heaven to add to himself humanity, to go through a bloody cross, to die a death in our place for us to be raised from the dead and empty the grave so that we too who are in him by faith will confidently know that it is coming. The grave will not contain us for it could not contain him. Thank you for our that perfect forerunner in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that each of us today as we've come to worship you we've done so single minded focusing our attention not on our phones and the buzzing and whatever might distract but focusing exclusively on you and maybe just maybe as a working of your spirit there wouldn't have been one who heard my voice but there would have been all who heard yours that voice that would call them unto your son to find rest in only him. Father, it's our prayer today that upon our worship and upon our hearing that you would have prepared in us willing hearts, obedient hearts to do what you are calling us to do. Lord, this I pray for your son's sake. Amen. Church, I invite you to stand. Brother Scott will lead us in a hymn of invitation. And I wonder this morning, ask yourself the question, am I willing to obey? What is God calling you to do? Is he calling you to shake free from the shackles that bind you to that pew? To come to confess Christ as Lord and Savior? If he is, come be set free. Is he calling you to join this church and carrying out our mission that God has given to us? If he is, come. Has he burdened you in some way that you need come and kneel before the altar and simply, like those incense that burn, lift those prayers to him and leave here. Whatever it is, won't you come? Won't you come?